Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, um, I, I don't know about you, but I've been pretty caught up in uh, some of this Winter Olympics stuff going on, um, and kind of with the, with the state of uh, basketball being what it was, you know, it's been pretty easy to kind of be distracted from the goings on in, in Northwestern hoops. Yeah, boy. I mean, I'm trying to think of where we were when last we talked, we were kind of bemoaning the sad state of Northwestern hoops and Correct me if I'm wrong, but we were living in a, a pre-Michigan State world at that point and a pre-Maryland world. And uh, boy, talk talk about a rough pair of games, won't Nelly? This is 2013 Northwestern football. It, yeah. Could, or, the, par- could I mean, the parallels be any more similar? I, I, yeah, yeah 20, you're absolutely right. 2013, or I could, I'd even say uh, 2002, too. I mean, it's – or 2001, um, it's I mean, just... the the Michigan State game is clearly the Nebraska <laughs> yeah. the Hail Mary game. Uh, Coulter and BMAC, uh, I guess I guess you could say uh, BMAC and Damian Anderson, maybe. But I don't know. Like it just the 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 fact that we won a bowl game. You know, we got to the tournament, we won a game, and then just utter collapse the next year. I don't know. Well, it's really at, at, at least you know we can say after tonight's uh, loss to Wisconsin, we don't have to worry about playing at Allstate anymore. Um, th- that that's that's done. Yeah, the next game we play at home will be in the brand spanking new shiny palace that is going to be what the new Welsh Ryan Arena. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're going to be turning a page for sure. Um, we've got one road game at Iowa, who were the worst team in the Big Ten this year. But again, Wisconsin, you know, was, was one of the worst teams in the Big Ten this year, although they're playing a little bit better right now. And uh, we just lost to them at, again, quote-unquote home. But uh, yeah, I mean, this feels like just because... I, this team is, is fighting injuries. I mean, you've got Vic Law out. McIntosh, you know, would have been out had it not been senior day. Um, it certainly doesn't feel like this is a team that has a, a miracle tournament run in it. I, it just kind of feels like, right, not unlike that 2013 year, not unlike that 2001 year, that these just will become these, these weird flyover seasons, um, you know, after, after years that had so much more promise. Uh, did you guys see the the special uniforms that they that actually the the seniors helped design for tonight's game? Yeah, they were cool. I mean, I I I read I saw something on them that somewhere, but maybe it was inside, and you had a poll up and and uh, you know what do you think about the uniforms? And I was you know I'll say you know BB plus. I thought they were cool. I like the concept more that that you let the seniors design their uniforms. I just think that's a neat idea, especially on, you know, if it's going to be a one-off for senior night. Um they were kind of cool. I mean, they had some some nice little elements and everything. I mean, I didn't think that they were they weren't the gothics or anything, but they as far as home unis go, they were pretty nice. Mille- mo- millennials. I know. I, I like <laughs> I, how I kid. I I liked how it integrated the uh the cat in the end cat, um, you know, which has been making more and more of an appearance on the football helmets that that was put in um, like the, the skyline of Chicago on the back shoulder, 
the pinstripes, uh, which were kind of a, an homage to uh, the Jordan era Bulls uh, third uniform uh, with the black with the red pinstripes. I think Scotty Lindsay uh, really kind of liked that and it kind of homage to that. Uh, so there, there's some really cool elements. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you zoomed in on the pinstripes, the pinstripes were actually like text, weren't they? I think you had to look look really close, but I believe that the pinstripes were actually text based on things that the guys submitted. It was very very high tech on the part of Under Armour. Yeah, it, it was text and um, everyone, all the three seniors' home area codes. Right, and it was it's kind of cool too that. Um, they all, I think the coolest thing about it to me was the three seniors all insisted that Vic Law's stuff be on the jersey as well, even though he's had got one more year of eligibility just because he was part of the same class and those guys have a closeness. So I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, th- that that is a really good point. I mean, this was Chris Collins' first recruiting class and, and they're all, all but Vic Law graduating right now. So, you know, uh, that that's you know, pretty momentous and, you know, knowing what the class coming in next year is, you know, there's a, there should be a lot of excitement. As disillusioned as we are with the, uh, with the team this year, you you know, you can't look at this class and not, you know, laud them for the biggest achievement in Northwestern basketball history. uh, Last season, getting the NCAA tournament, winning a game, pushing the number one seed Gonzaga uh, like we did. So, uh, this this class goes out as the most celebrated class in Northwestern history to this date, and I hope that um, future classes surpass that. Certainly, but you know, I think I think it is important to step aside from the the wasteland that has been you know twenty seventeen eighteen and uh, and definitely raise a glass to these guys as they go out um, and for what they were able to achieve last season. Where where would you guys rate? Macintosh in terms of all-time Northwestern basketball players. It's got to be I, in terms player, of players or guards. Pl- players, players or guards. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna say I players. put him. Oh, I. It's that's that's tougher. I would say it's funny because I if if we're going back position, um, I don't know that he's in my starting five only because I still think I would put Juice ahead one, of him. One hundred percent. Yep. Um, and then that's the thing. But I would say those two are one, two. You're talking about the best Northwestern point guards ever. Um, I would put Juice Thompson one, Bryant McIntosh two. Um, I think the Scotty Lindsay to me is someone that I think if you look at all the guys, the guy who had the best arc for sure is Lindsay. Um, he, this is a guy who came in as kind of a role player, but I mean, no doubt our most consistent player this season. I mean, he made the team go. Um, I think Brian, you know, McIntosh's inconsistency this season, um, partly injury related and, you know, we've discussed it ad nauseum, but I think as he went, so the team went this season by, by and large, he was inconsistent and the team was inconsistent, but Lindsay was pretty much a solid force all year. I mean, he's going to run away with the team scoring title and, um, you know, I think night in night out, he was where the buckets were going to come from and, um, that wasn't always the case. I mean, the last two years, he's been a great scorer for us, but I think he's a guy who really continued to evolve and really grow all the way through college. Um, and, you know, by the end of the year, you know, I think he, he's a guy who's definitely looking at some all Big Ten honors at the end of the year um, in, a, in a season where there won't be a heck of a lot of other bright spots. Are there any other two guards you would start above him? I mean, I guess maybe like 
Jatim kind of played the point out of necessity, but it's it's so hard to say. Because, and this is again, it's it's interesting to evaluate the end of of this particular era of the Chris Collins administration, and then try to compare it to the entire Carmody administration, where it's like like you have all these guys like Vedran Vakusic or someone like that, <laughs> where you're like, hey, I mean. The guy poured in a ton of buckets. He was tall and he could shoot the lights out. I mean, obviously, John Shearn is the ultimate. And John Shearn, of course, is going to be in any Northwestern starting But those, those but guys were small these... forwards, though, right? Well, like True. Like, but I mean, has there been any? I mean, and again, like another name, Craig Moore scored a ton of points and played point guard again, maybe out of necessity. Uh, and then you got Trey Demps, who was, I mean, trick-or-treat at times, but... Um, Maybe the maybe the best peer scorer Northwestern's ever had in the backcourt. Yeah, I. But I mean, Lindsay's in the discussion. He doesn't quite have the mountain to climb that McIntosh has to get to number one. Yeah. Um, but I think if if we're looking right, I mean, I I mean for sure it's it's Thompson or McIntosh. Um, yeah, Lindsay's in in the discussion as as much as I might even put him ahead of Demps. We all remember Demps for the electrifying moments. But Lindsay, the past two years, has as, had what Dems as, did not as far have, as which was consistency. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, Evan Eschmeyer, of course, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, John Sherna is going to be your three yep. or your four, and then you're you're just trying to fill one more spot, I guess. I, I mean, um, I might put Crawford in there. Yeah. Like maybe, lo- maybe lost or passes him someday. Um, it's hard to not have Kevin Koble on the team, but I don't know how you can with the Ooh. way his, his career ended. True, and but and there but there think, are think, some older guys too that um yeah 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 that, um, I just don't know enough I don't know enough about their uh, Kevin Rankin yeah. and um the other name is escaping me right now like Gino something Gino or other. Gino but Carlisle? again Gino Carlisle finished but again Gino Carlisle finished his career yep. at a, just like Coble at another institution so he and Ash could have played together but he didn't um well then like. So now go back to the five the, the five starters we just talked about. Eschmeyer, Sherna, Crawford, we'll say Lindsay, and and uh Juice. It's a crime that that team didn't make the tournament when those three guys were starting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again and, and again that's that's to show just how big of a mountain this was to climb, and these guys will always have that and um uh, watching the end of the game today, I mean, McIntosh walking off the court, he was crying. Collins was crying. Um, just a really emotional time for these guys. I think Collins, Collins gets it and Collins has taken his lumps this season. Um, and, uh, and you know, he's think, deservedly, deservedly. Yeah, well, I mean his lumps and I think, you know, I think we forget because he did what he did last season and what he's built so far that, um, He's still a really young head coach, and I think he's still learning to win and lose the right way. And I think this will be a, a growing year for him, for sure. Very um, well but, said, John. Very well yeah. said. <laughs> but, uh, but again, I think, you know, he's built it, and, and he knows what these guys have all meant to the team. And it was a really emotional night. And, and um, you know, there's nothing taking away the... It's 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 funny to say to talk about consistency or something like that, and I you know if your point is well taken, Scuzz, about as good as those guys were, they never made the tournament, and it's tough to evaluate someone to compare Juice Thompson or Brian McIntosh and would be like, well, I mean, Juice played four years of stellar basketball, and McIntosh has this kind of mulligan 
But on the other hand, how do you measure consistency when one guy did something that's never been done before in the program history and the other guy didn't? I mean, this class of guys will always have that, and um, it's a really big deal. That goddamn Jared Sullinger layup as the buzzer was oh. going. <laughs> that goddamn Sullinger layup. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, as, we, as we talk about the, the men's basketball program um, this season and how, you know, it was odd having them out in Rosemont, uh, we haven't really paid much attention to the ladies this year. And we did get a, a question on Twitter, um, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, Joe McEwen's been the coach of the women's team for 10 years now. And aside from, um, like, a couple magical runs, you know, the, the team has been fairly disappointing. Um, I, without completely litigating the entire Joe McEwen era, uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts a little bit on this year. I think, you know, the one of the biggest factors, and there are a lot of factors that went into uh, this season just being a, a tough, tough season uh, for the ladies. Um, three and twelve in conference, uh, you know, just a rough, rough go. I, you know, they didn't play out in Rosemont. They were playing at the ETHS uh, high school gym, which, you know, I. What's worse, playing all the way out in Rosemont with a like a professional stadium, or playing in a high school gym? At least ETHS is a shorter bus ride. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean it's it it certainly wasn't ideal. But again, it's it's I mean you let's put it this way. The men played in a lot of cavernous games in Allstate Arena this year. Uh especially early in the season. The men's team played in very very many games where very few people showed up and um it's not a good look and if it's not a good look for the men it's for sure not going to be a good look for the ladies i mean it was it was rough i mean it it wasn't ideal for the men or the or the woman i you kind of just have to just just again like we've been saying with the men move on and say all right thank you ladies for taking that bullet for us and now you know here's your here's your brand new fancy digs it does feel a little bit like a throwaway season and Sam, you kind of alluded to a lot of challenges i mean obviously the stadium we just talked about they also graduated five seniors. You know, Nia Coffey, who's who's arguably one of the best, you know, basketball players to ever come through Northwestern. Ashley Deary, who was critical to the team's success over the last couple of years at the point position. Um, it's also really important to remember uh, Jordan Hankins, who who was a member of this team and committed suicide last year. Uh, we can't even begin to imagine what that uh, would have done uh, to these women in the locker room and and uh, how it may or may not have affected their play and and their, uh, you know, their. Um, mental willpower to uh to compete etc so they've been i mean they've quite literally been through the ringer and i think with that you know loss of leadership and the turnover and everything else that's happened in the last 18 months to this squad i think it's it's kind of no surprise that they they haven't uh been all there on the court this season i also think there's you know there's a lot of reason for optimism uh, with this group there are four players on the current team uh who are top 100 recruits in uh one of the last two one of the last two recruiting seasons uh you got Lindsay pulliam uh who who's who's i think the leading scorer for the team this year abby wolf and abby schneid uh who were you know top 100 recruits a couple of years ago and then jordan hamilton uh who's another uh top top recruit as a freshman this season so they've got 
talent on this group. Um, they don't have any top recruits coming in uh, in the class uh, coming in next year, but they've they've got some building blocks. And I think you know I don't I don't think you can quite shut the door yet on the on the McCune experience based on where you sit right now. But he's certainly you know to to the point of of uh, of Peter who wrote in. I think um, there's been really only one strong season uh, from this program in the last 10 years. That's, that's hard to stomach for what you would think would be uh, a, a really competitive, a, a program that really competes for good talent uh, in women's basketball. I think one of the takeaways drawing a parallel between the women's and the men's is the, when you're at a place where tournament berths are not a standard deal, uh, the pressure of repeating after fulfilling that goal is enormous. Um, with all due respect to this current group of seniors, the men's team, you know, who just played their last home game, um, that women's team was superior in talent. I mean, you're talking a future professional basketball player. I mean, Nia Coffey was one of the handful of best players in the Big Ten the entire time she was at the school. And she was not the only big time player in that class. And they, what, they, that, they didn't even lose 10 games her sophomore year and went on that awesome tourney run. Um, and that was, and that was it. I mean, after that, for the next two years, that class of girls, um, had to deal with the crushing pressure of trying to get back to that place and they weren't able to do it. And it's not hard to draw parallels from that to what the men's team has experienced this year. And then, yeah, you factor in just a, a huge tragedy into the group. Um, and, and you know, it's – and then you have kind of turning the page. And obviously, you know, one of the things that happened this year to the team, Amber Jamison left the team literally right before the start of the season. I mean, the ink – wasn't even dry on a couple, you know, major pieces that had been written about her, um, you know, that, that she had sat for and been interviewed for. And then she left the team. And, and again, we don't know why she left um, and, and not going to speculate, but I know if you look at social media, I mean, she's basically been quiet on social media since she left the team, except in January um, when she made a post to commemorate um, the death of Jordan Hankins one year from the time. And that post was immediately um, replied to by almost every member of the team, current and former, um, all just with sharing the exact same thought. So clearly this is a, a close group of girls who are all, you know, very deeply, you know, hurt and affected and understandably so by what happened. And, you know, it's just a, a huge tragedy like that at the same time that you're having a huge shift in turnover, you know, in eras, eras of a program. I mean, it's really hard to deal with. And, and, um, you know, with that said, just like Scott said, with the, you've got a great class of recruits who just came in, but I mean, they're, you know, they're missing out on some veteran leadership that they would have been expecting with Jameson's departure. Um, they're great recruits, but they're not world-beating recruits. And if they're suddenly trying to do it all on their own, you're going to have growing pains. So, plus, you know, plus you take in, into account just the senior leadership that left. I mean, those those five seniors who graduated last year were getting a majority of the minutes. I mean, I, I don't think McEwen was going too deep into the into the bench. So, you know, a lot a lot of these big name recruits, you know, freshmen, sophomores, the sophomores probably didn't play a whole lot last year. So, you know, right. they're all kind of just getting their feet wet in a weird situation playing in a high school gym. 
Right. And again, it's like, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think it's, <clears throat> it's weird because this season you kind of have to give a mulligan. So it's like, if you're evaluating McEwen's career on the whole, I mean, I, you know, we're only four years removed from an absolutely magical year. And then two years that failed to live up to that for the reasons that we've talked about. And then this year that for any number of reasons was always just going to be going sideways. So I think, you know, to me, I think McEwen over the course of his career has earned the right at the very least to take this wave of, of players, you know, the current freshmen on this team um, through their career and see what he can build with them. And if, and if that doesn't come together over the course of their careers, then, then uh, I can certainly see wanting to turn the page, but I kind of feel like on, on the body of his work, the highs, um, we deserve to to see if if this group can put together an upward trajectory, and I bet they're going to be able to. And as we know, Jim Phillips is very loath to uh, fire any coaches. Um, and I, I think, given the the profile of, of where women's basketball you know matches up, I mean, to be completely, I mean, they're a non revenue sport, um, so the spotlight isn't really on them. So I, I you know, the the hot seat. You know, as hot as the hot seat w- would get, isn't that hot? You know, uh, in comparison to like a Collins or a Fitz. Well, and I I feel like there's been a I don't know if it's I don't know if it's an undercurrent, but I feel like there's been a kind of unsaid perspective around all these programs that you know we've got these two major renovation pro- projects coming. Uh, being Welsh Ryan and the the uh, on campus football slash athlete facility, and that until those are in place, they don't quite know what the ceiling is for the for these programs um, under their current leadership, right? And obviously, Fitz and Collins are going nowhere um, anytime soon. But I think you know some of the pressure that at other schools may have been laid at at Mick McCall's feet or on Joel McEwen, you know, given these, these massive changes are coming, there's going to be a very, um, uh, a, a very objective way to evaluate, like, all right, we've taken facilities off the table. Now, now let's see how you can do. And, um, and we'll see how it plays out. Um, we talked last week, a little, uh, lacrosse, um, you know, we, you know, just to kind of keep that updated, um, lacrosse went out and beat Colorado pretty handily last week, uh, before going on the road to Duke, uh, and dropping a game, uh, by one point. So, uh, t- tough to lose one on the road, but, you know, we've got like, like we were talking about last week, a very, uh, a, pretty much a gauntlet coming up at home here in the next week or two. So, you know, that, that'll be, it'll be really good, interesting to see how the team recovers from a loss on the road to a good Duke team. Um, you know, not quite the caliber of the teams we're going to be seeing in the next week or two, but, uh, it, well, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see. I mean, again, I'm, I'm by the end of the season, that Duke game could be a positive indicator, not a negative one. I mean, like you said, we've got this gauntlet that we have to run, but, um, we don't know. I mean, Duke being Duke, they, you know, if that team ends up being good this season by the end of the year, um, I mean, we absolutely plowed three teams to start this season. 
and then you know a tight tight road loss so let's see maybe that was the spark this team needed for this stretch any other northwestern i mean baseball and softball are are getting underway um you know kind of both struggling a little bit off the bat but you know we we've talked about how it's tough to play all your games in february and the first half of march on the road um that doesn't change (laughs) we don't have a domed baseball stadium that's not part of the facilities renovation or anything not (laughs) yet i I would imagine they'll get to that after they uh, raise and replace uh ryan field with with whatever money is left over from that yeah baseball your your time will come maybe and well no i mean to be (laughs) fair baseball did get both baseball and softball did just get good renovations uh, to uh, Rocky Miller Park and um, what's this? Sharon Drysdale Field. Uh, you know, press boxes are, are nice. There's like, they're both nicer, much nicer facilities now than they had been, but that doesn't mean we're putting a dome right. over either of them. Right. They're, they're really nice facilities that continue to be well above the Mason Dixon line, and in baseball, that's always going to be an issue. Uh, so I want to finish off this episode with a little uh, discussion on the Olympics. Um, Winter Olympics in full swing, kind of nearing the end as, as we begin to wrap it up. Um, you know, just an amazing uh, run by the uh, women's hockey team with uh, just a, a beautiful win uh, for the gold medal over arch rival Canada. Uh, snowboarding has been a lot of American medals there. Um, just kind of want to get your guys, you know, early takes on uh, this Olympics, um, how, how this has been going so far, and uh, kind of start a discussion on that front. Let me let me just open this discussion by saying that we had a little moment we edited out where Scuzz had to get up from the pod for a second, and led me to check my television which i had on mute and look at women's figure skating and i saw there was a red box and i saw that marai nagasu was skating and scuzz was like i mean sam was like oh how's she doing and i was like well i haven't been following it but not good because i think she usually starts with her triple triple combination and i see a red box up there (laughs) and i was i was like isn't it funny how we all become experts in all of these sports for like two weeks especially curling you know especially curling yeah right but I'll, but I'll, you know, I, I can't tell you what a sow cow is or whatever, but for two weeks I can be like, well, boy, you know, she usually tries that triple-triple right out of the box, and I don't think it went really well. So, um, But you're right, yeah, curling, et cetera, especially with the U.S. men's team. I'll tell you, though, the Olympics, Winter Olympics, and, and I talked this before, and I know, like, you guys were kind of like, eh, but I know – you know, whether it be Bill Simmons or whoever, various people talk about, you know, I'm not going to be watching, blah, blah, blah. I don't get up for this. And man, I, I mean, I can name 10 great moments that this Winter Olympics has provided just off the top of my head. I mean, it's, you don't have to know much about the sports to know, to be able to understand how much it means to these guys or girls, as the case may be, especially uh, over the past 24 hours. I'll say again, I said this last week when you did your final thought, everyone I know is watching. I don't know who you are referring no, to that's and, not watching. And I guess my larger point, right, is that is that people 
love to poo-poo the Winter Olympics relative to the Summer Olympics as, oh, it's all niche sports, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you know, the coverage of the, and maybe it was just like the Ringer podcasts or Bill Simmons or whoever, but listening to all these people in the lead up, you know, people talking about different sports and being like, oh, I'm not up for it. NHL players aren't going this year, et cetera, et cetera. And I, man, I, I mean, the entire time that I've been watching, I mean, I don't care what the sport is. There have just been some awesome moments. I mean, I can rattle off 10 of them just off the top of my head. Um, it's, it's been great spectacle. I mean, yes, it's, it's not marquee sports, but that doesn't mean there haven't been marquee moments. It's been pretty awesome. Well, and I do want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the men's hockey tournament. Um, you know, the, the NHL not being there sucks and, you know, it, it's just not going to be as good of a tournament as, as if they were, but I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts on, um, so Greg Wyshynski at ESPN uh, made a thought that it should be similar to soccer in the Olympics, like an under-23 uh, tournament or may, or maybe an under-25 tournament with a couple overage players thrown in there, um, you know, for some of the smaller countries that, you know, don't have the kind of depth of, of, of younger players. But... Um, and and that would make the World Cup of hockey, which they're trying to turn into, similar to the World Cup of soccer, where you have the best players playing for their countries. Um, but what, to, so to to me, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. I mean, whatever it is, and and I'm part of this is. I mean, you guys are way ahead of me on hockey knowledge, but I feel like over the past like decade. My knowledge of the intricacies of junior hockey has grown exponentially. And basically the the one thing is whatever you've got to do to get pro guys in, you've got to do. Because you can't – It's it just doesn't work otherwise. Like you can't draw these distinctions where one pro league sits out. I mean even at the college level, all of these guys have effectively played pro, pro hockey prior to being in college. Um, even though they weren't being paid because that's the way that juniors work. And a lot of guys play juniors instead of going to college, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you take this, this Olympics, you have all these guys right from the KHL or whatever playing professional hockey players, but you just don't have NHL players. And if that's because, you know, the union wasn't able to work it out or like that there wouldn't have been enough guys to field teams. I mean, if, if this age restriction allows the NHL to continue doing whatever they need to do, you know, concurrently with the Olympics, then fine. But I mean, it's like, that's to me is the weirdest thing. It's like, if it's amateurs, fine. But the idea of amateurism in hockey basically doesn't exist now. And you can't have one league opting out and all these other leagues opting in. That to me was the weirdest thing of all. I, I just, I have a slightly different take and that's that the U S Olympic, uh, hockey organization is effing stupid. Why did they fill this team with old, slow NHL players instead of dynamic, young, under 23 talent from the college or in junior ranks? Yeah. That, that... They're, they're morons. They could have won this whole tournament. So here's, here's my question to you guys. And again, I defer cause I do not know, but I mean, if you take, the top guys from like the KHL, aren't they going to stand, stand heads and tails above the top college guys in the U.S.? I mean, am I just wrong on that? Nah, I, I, I would think, just think I don't think battle. So. 
I would thought I would have thought battle tested guys from you know the second best pro league would be above the top college guys. So I, I mean, know. it's it's the second best pro league, but it's populated with a bunch of like NHL retreads and then like three superstars. And I like to me like if if you're good and you can play in the U.S., you will. Like the like the NHL, you're going to make so much more money. Well, um, to, to a point. I mean, there there are uh, some cases where uh, certain players are making more money in the KHL, uh, but that yeah yeah, but that that those are fewer and far between. And well, a lot of the times, they go to the KHL, make a f ton of money, and then come back for the better well, quality of play. Well, and so hmm. the two amazing players, like one is Pavel Datsuk, who always had said he wanted to play in the KHL and was. I mean, the Detroit Red, Red Wings were garbage, um, and he has gone over there and, and extended his career and is making a ton of money. And the other one is Ilya Kovalchuk, who is a uh, anchor weight on any team he would come play for in the U.S. because um, basically he signed this crazy contract with uh, was it New Jersey? Jersey? Yeah, Jersey. Yeah, with New Jersey that the following year was basically deemed 100% illegal by the league. Um, I'll note as a Blackhawks fan that the Marion Hossa contract was not much far behind what nope. they did with Kovalchuk. But um, basically they signed him for a ton of extra years for like a dollar. And uh, it allowed them to lower the average, uh, the average um, cap annual yeah. cap hit. Spread the cap hit, but he got all of the money up front. Yep. No, but knowing that he was never going to play in those years, he was always going to retire for some reason or another. Um, so it was a, it was a it was a very overt um, attempt to circumnavigate the the salary cap. But anyways, so Kovalchuk essentially can't play in the U.S. if he wants to make good money. Um, and then Datsuk was you know really nearing the end of his career. And then outside of that, like I don't see why the young talent like the U.S. has won or been in the in the final game of the what the under 23 and yeah, the under 18 the, the world juniors. and like all those world juniors championships and titles and, and tournaments which are all amateur players the US has been killing it we've been beating Canada head to head and the like that that US Olympic hockey <laughs> went went back to the same terrible you know, approach of loading the U.S. team with physical, truculent veteran players so that they can, you know, fight Canada to a draw and win in a shootout is just the stupidest goddamn strategy in the history of Olympic hockey. And, and, and especially when you look how it played out, the best players on the U.S. team were the college guys. Yeah, the two college guys that actually made it. It's unreal. Oh, it's infuriating. It's, I think it's because, I don't know, I think part of it is... I feel like maybe the committee wasn't expecting this to play out this way. This, and is, everyone... this is what they do every year, John. Like, well, like, like, like last year with NHL players, they picked all the big physical guys to to try and slow down Canada because they're just they're convinced we can't score with Canada, as opposed to like trying something different that hasn't worked for you know sixteen years. I just met with the this like the whole thing this year with the blend of players and everything. It all just feels so ham handed and slapped together. There's no way – I don't mean like from the USOC's perspective. I just mean um, that this format is not something that's going to be repeated. Like either the NHL is going to work it out. I, I mean I'm with you guys. I like the idea of youth, the way that soccer sets it up. Soccer has the – soccer's is a little bit strange too, but soccer basically does a bunch of young guys, but then they'll buttress it with one or two major stars. So Yeah, and, usually, and that, that's what, um, and that's that's what cool we're suggesting. 
yeah, pulls in the casual fans and then all the, and then for all the nuts for the particular sport, like all the hockey nuts are going to be like, oh, this is an awesome chance to watch all the young guys. Um, and it is, which especially is re- when like you look at the, the hockey world cup that they had uh, a year ago, the most exciting team to watch was the under 23 combined <laughs> us and Canada. Those yeah. guys were was, amazing. It was so was that the team that had the really sweet uniforms. Yeah, the, the team to, North yeah. the team North yeah. America. Those uniforms were amazing, and they were fast, and they were fun, and you know it was cl- it was easily the most exciting part of that tournament. Well, it will be really interesting to see what happens in four years because there's been cons- conspiracy theory is taking it um, a little too far, but um, and I think Greg Wyshynski, who you mentioned earlier, Sam has talked about this that. The, the NHL like may have just not wanted to go to Pyeongchang in four years. It's in Beijing. It's in China. I think they'd be really dumb to miss out on a chance to showcase their players and their product in China. Oh, 100%. So, yeah, I, I mean, this, this very well might just be like, a, Oh, Hey, look, we figured it out guys. Kind of situation. <laughs> right. Basically being like, Hey guys, you see that giant money faucet over there? Let's <laughs> Let's not turn this off, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, also, and be, no, go ahead. No, so the so the IOC had been, you know, rattling their sabers, saying, "Oh, if the NHL doesn't come to Pyeongchang, we're not going to let you into Beijing." But yeah, fat chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, the I I kind of feel like we should pivot here, only because I kind of feel guilty we haven't talked about them yet. Um, but as long as we're talking hockey, um, the the women's the first of all the USA Canada match was absolutely epic and the finish was epic and i mean it just anything you could want right i mean the the quality of play was just phenomenal so i think a hockey nut is watching being like oh my gosh these two teams are cr- are just insane and then just the raw drama of it i mean i it's crazy because you know i i know that these that these ladies, a lot of them are playing professionally or semi-pro. I mean, obviously they're not playing in the same, you know, there is no NHL for the women. Well, um, there are, uh, there are a couple professional leagues that have started I mean, popping up, but it's not right. I'm, right. I mean, there are pro leagues, but um, I think the, the crazy thing about this game and it's kind of crazy, almost really to kind of freaky levels, especially when you compound it with a shootout. It's obvious that both teams are basically training for four years for this moment. And just to have that much riding on one game is just so crazy. And again, we all profit off of it emotionally because the just the investment of the two teams is so completely over the top. When you have one team just delirious and one team sobbing at the end, it's just unbelievable. Now, obviously... You know, you can make that argument about a lot of different Olympic sports, but in the case of these guys, I mean, with the border rivalry and, you know, particularly all these girls from, you know, from northern states, you know, close to the border versus all the Canadians, they all know each other. They've all played together in college um, and they've all just been training for four years to go against each other. I mean, it is just so dramatic. Well, and kind of, kind of the state of women's hockey right now, I mean, it is pretty much a foregone conclusion that any championship, albeit worlds or Olympics, is going to be USV Canada. 
Um, only since women's hockey was introduced into the Olympics in uh, at the Nagano Games in '98, only once was the gold medal game not U.S. Canada. Um, either the U.S. or Canada has won every single uh, gold medal in women's hockey. So you know, it just that kind of you know, the U.S. and Canada are are clearly the two best teams and the, the only time you get some uh someone else kind of poking around is in a case like Finland this year who has an all-world goalie and you one great game by an all-world goalie you can maybe get an upset here or there which is what happened to the US I think in the Torino games um if I'm remembering that right but uh yeah I mean so it's US Canada is always the it was always a championship game. Um, I know the the U.S. back in Sochi, you know, had the had the they gave up a two goal lead, uh, gave up the tying goal with an empty net after just missing an empty net goal that would have iced it, uh, and then lost the game in overtime. So you know, from that point, every member of Team USA circled uh, last night's date. And said, this is what we are shooting for. This is what we're going for. This is what we're going to put 100% of our time, effort, and blood, sweat, and tears into. We are going to beat Canada in Pyeongchang. It's interesting, too, for me, just to kind of juxtapose with um, the U.S. women's soccer. Because one thing watching these girls, I mean, I kind of been like, I mean, these girls are marketable. And I don't mean marketable in terms of like pretty, although I mean, there are a couple of them who are pretty, but they just, they just seem really cool. Like they're, they're just really cool. They're really likable. They're incredibly talented. I mean, God, Lamoureux's goal in the shootout was just an absolute masterclass. Um, but they, I mean, they just seem like a really likable group. And I, you know, it's tough because, I mean, when is the Women's World Cup? I mean, is it the following year? Um, is it, I mean, I mean for hockey. I don't think um, there do is you a, guys wi- know? Uh, so uh, there is no Women's World Cup of hockey, but they do have World Championships every year. So they have the World Championships, but I mean, for whatever reason, I think the U.S., the women's soccer team gets that massive one-two punch of uh, the Olymp- the World Cup and the Olympics in back-to-back years. Um, and it's just a huge for the sport, it's huge because they're just in the public eye for a long period of time. And of course, like, you know, anyone who's followed the NFL or whatever knows that, you know, you have the, the, another problem relative to literal visibility when you're playing a sport that involves helmets versus a sport that doesn't involve helmets. But, um, I, you know, I just kind of came away, not just being really impressed with the hockey, but just thinking it was just such a really cool group of women and thinking, you know, I, it's just a real shame now because I feel like this group is just going to go back in the cupboard for another four years. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'd, I'd love to see them find a way to raise the visibility or find another way to take advantage of the rivalry. Well, I mean, they do show the, I mean, you can find the world championships um, every year. I mean, they, they, that tournament does get aired. Um, yeah. I, Cause I remember watching, I think, last year's world championship and like the u.s has dominated canada in the world championships but it's for whatever reason the olympic tournament that uh, canada had won four consecutive uh, gold medals so it was you know cool to get that back um you know i getting a little sentimental i mean i i didn't stay up last night to watch just because it ended at what 2 a.m or something like that 
But I definitely got my daughter, 19 months old, and we sat down and I made her watch the shootout. And the last half of overtime in the shootout that were, was on the DVR. She has no idea what it is, but, you know, I was telling her, this is important. This is this is a big deal and, you know, something to – what in whatever memories she'll have in the future, you know, she'll have – you know, she will have watched that game. So, Olymp twenty thirty six Winter Olympics. We're thinking, Sammy, is that 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 about what you have your sights yeah, on? Yeah, I figure or twenty forty somewhere somewhere in there. I'll get her in goalie pads pretty early. Um, you know that that that's sort of the way to go. You become an all world goalie and uh, have the world on your shoulders. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, and leave it there. Um, I know when we come back next time, the Olympics will be over, and we can reminisce about. Uh, the stuff we didn't get to talk about tonight. But um, before we go, let's go ahead and continue our search for the Swoley Grail. Uh, I'll jump in with a uh, final thought for me, which is Olympic-related. Um, and that's that, you know, I've been watching a lot of skiing in the Olympics, and... Um, I noticed a couple tweets last night from uh, fellow Northwestern uh, brethren on Twitter complaining about Bodie Miller's just awful announcing um, in terms of his uh, his monotone voice. Like he he has virtually no emotion when he's talking, and he kind of um, rambles on and on. Uh, I might do that as well at times, but it's it's really hard to listen to him. And what is especially frustrating and galling about about that is that the stuff he is saying is bloody genius. I've learned more about Olympic skiing and downhill skiing and the the types of things the skiers are dealing with and the approaches and all the all the other things that go into being an Olympic uh, athlete on the mountain. I've learned more in a week listening to Bodie Miller than I have in every Winter Olympics I've ever watched in my entire life combined. Um, his, his his analysis and the things he comments on it's it's akin to some of the stuff that Tony Roma does uh, this past season in the NFL where he just he understands what these athletes are doing and how they're preparing in ways that none of the rest of us do um and, uh, even subtle comments around like oh man she really needed to be aggressive there or Oh, they got too aggressive in that spot. I've made that mistake a thousand times. Like just like those little things, and to be able to put that just touch of context on it has made it that much more enjoyable. Except he's terrible to listen to. Come on, Bodie, fire up a, a Red Bull or something before you get on the air next. Uh, it'll it'll do it'll do you good. I uh, I have something specifically to attack right on the back of that because you're absolutely right. And the the first part of that is, first of all. Was no one paying attention during like the decade and a half when NBC tried to cram Brody, Bodie Miller down our throats when he clearly didn't want that to happen? <laughs> and was, ba and they were basically like, look, it's Bodie Miller. And Bodie Miller's like, get that camera away from me. Like, but they couldn't not have him on because he's like the best, right? He, he doesn't have Lindsey Vaughn's polish. He just has Lindsey Vaughn's talent and. He, I mean, he was maybe the greatest downhill American ever, but the, when Esther Ledecka won the shot, had that shocking win where she's the, she's here to snowboard, but she pulls off the shock run 
Um, that's one of, I mean, my favorite moments of the Olympics in, uh, was it the downhill or, or the super G? It was the super she G, was, yeah. It was the super, the super G. First of all, um, Miller did a really good job of explaining why Lindsey Vaughn was so screwed because she had to go first. And then when Ledeco won, NBC didn't carry it live, but when they showed it on the run, Miller was like, Look, see, this is what I was saying down at the bottom of the course. I was talking about, and again, this was like inside baseball. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, here's this thing that she saw that because she's the 26th skier to go and she's the only one that took this gigantic risk down at this one spot. And I've been waiting for someone to try to ski it this way. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like now I totally tough. get it. Right. That's so like, that's when you said that, I was like, that's exactly it. You're right. He totally, he just, now someone just needs to put him in the Tony Romo masterclass and be like, all right, dude, we know you hate this, but you're valuable. I, I um, unless you do it pharmacologically, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> right. Maybe. Hey, you know. Maybe uh, let him work in a in a booth with Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski for a little while, you know. <laughs> B- Bodie, lay off the weed, man. Yeah. Wait till um, after the Olympics. Um. So, for my final thought, again, staying with the Olympics, um, I could go with any number of great moments because there've been a lot, but I'll go with the weirdest one, which was uh, Elizabeth Swaney, um, skiing skiing half pipe. Uh, without attempting any tricks. Although, um, in, in one of the weirdest interviews on the Today Show I've ever seen, she asserted that she actually did three tricks on her run. Um, is, to me, this, it's just a fascinating story. This is a case of someone who totally gamed the system to get into the Olympics. Um, which, on one hand, you kind of have to respect. I mean, she basically realized that there are less than 30 serious half pipe skiers in the world and that anytime they can't field 30 at a world cup event, they'll basically take anyone who shows up to fill out the field. And if she re- she realized that just by going down the course without attempting any tricks, um, she wouldn't finish dead last anytime someone else crashed. And in the lead up to the Olympics, there were a couple events that only 14 or 15 people entered because they were halfway around the world and people who'd already qualified didn't want to make the trip. So she attended like one of those, didn't crash, two people did. She finishes like 13th at a World Cup event and then combined with, even though she's American, she uh, uses her grandmother's Hungarian heritage to get on the Hungarian team and she gets herself into the Olympics. Um that on its surface, I, I'm not you know, even you, mad. I'm impressed. No, that, that's no, awesome. That's I thing. love it. I mean, on its surface, that's that's. I mean, it's like way to game the system, take advantage of it. Um, her run itself is just hysterical because she's not trying any tricks. The X factor is she is an odd duck. Uh, I had kind of so in in the aftermath of her weird run, there were about fifty stories written about her all just sourced the same Denver Post article. And it was pretty close, clear from the Denver Post article that they had tried to ask her some kind of lighthearted questions like, hey, congrats, you managed to game the system. And she only responded with answers like, I'm just trying to do the best tricks I can and get better and grow grow the sport of skiing in Hungary. And just, I was kind of <laughs> like, weird. And then I was, so I was waiting with bated breath for this Today Show by, interview. By odd duck, do you mean pathological liar? I mean, I, 
I don't want to, if she's a liar, she's an unbelievable liar. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm trying to grow the game in Hungary. That seems a bit rich. I mean, she, well, but the interview in the Today Show, she is just straight faced and composed and, and treating it like she is the real deal out there trying to compete for a gold medal. And like you watch Savannah Guthrie trying just to keep from bursting out laughing and being like, you get that these are all world class athletes and like, you went down the course and you didn't even attempt a trick. And she's like, well, I, I don't like it when people say I didn't attempt tricks. I actually attempted three tricks. And if you look like the tricks she's referring to are she briefly for about a millisecond left the air maybe twice. <laughs> and then once went up to the top, of, went up to the top of like one side and kind of turned around and went down the other way. And she's like, I did like a 180 and it's like, eh, okay. Um, I so, did a 180 being and, I turned. And this is someone who like ran for governor of California when she was in college against Schwarzenegger and was trying to make this like trying to be a Venezuelan loser. And I think has tried to get on American Ninja Warrior. And I don't know. She's I let's put it this way. I I, I want more of Elizabeth Sweeney. Not not on the ski half pipe. By no means do I want more Elizabeth Sweeney, but she is an interesting person to say the least. Uh I would I wouldn't be surprised if she pops up on let's say Bachelor Winter Games uh sometime down the road. Uh, so <laughs> I've, uh, I could have gone with many highlights, but I I went weird all the way. Uh for my final thought, I I pose a question to you guys. Um what winter olympic sport do you think you could do? I'm not saying like compete in and be uh, re- Down, reasonable. Downhill ski half pipe, clearly. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I can do at least three tricks. I guarantee you that. I'm no, pretty sure ahead. I couldn't get in the thing. I think I would fall. <laughs> oh, but I, so like, which ones do you? What, what, which like, one do you think you could? reasonably attempt. I mean, do you want to cross curling off the list? Well, so here's the Maybe. thing. I would have thought, if, if I would not, have thought it's curling. definitely curling. I've done curling. I would have thought that curling was like, a, you know, a beer league sport until I found out that a Russian guy doped. And now I'm like, what is this? Like, why did he need to dope? for curling i was like maybe there's like some sort of physical part that i'm not appreciating within curling um or i I guess let me let me rephrase the question what what sport would you want to try oh god slope style or not slope style um uh snowboard cross if i could do snowboard cross I, i that would i would think i was the coolest dude in the whole world and if you do it, you have to be the one person who's like, the first thing I'm going to do is turn and lunge at the other three immediately <laughs> and just try to take them all out. I keep waiting for someone to do that. It's like, come on. Let's not, like, you know. No, John, John. Immediately. Th- th- that's not short track speed skating. This is something completely different. <laughs> Look, Don't get me started on, on short track speed if skating. There, if there are other people on the course, throw them elbows. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like um, short track speed skating. Yeah, yeah, John. When you mentioned the the Winter Olympics being like niche and some of the sports being a little questionable, the first thing that came to my mind was short track speed skating, which we <laughs> always used to say was a bullshit sport. It is and it such was. a bullshit sport. And then they yeah. figured out they were like, well, wait, what if we did the sort of sort of similar thing, but on a snowboard course with six people racing at the same time? And I'm like, oh hell yeah, better, well, much better. Well, first of because all, because short track, 
Well, short track, they just need to lean into it. I want a bigger track, and I want ten times more more skates well, on the ice. Well, fu- funny you time. should mention that. Apparently, there is a mass start long track race that is supposed to be NASCAR on ice. Oh my goodness! Oh, I, that that's glorious. coming up in that's the next awesome. couple of days. I want me some that's, of that. That sounds glorious. Um, to answer your earlier question, I don't. I mean. There, I, the one with, with, with Summer Olympics, I'd always be like modern pentathlon. I was like, I've got a wife who was an all America fencer. She teaches me how to fence a little bit. You shoot a gun. And then what are the other, I don't know. There's some, what what about biathlon, man? Biathlon is is kind of up that alley. Well, man, like, I'm sorry, but like cross country skiing is like literally the worst thing ever. It's like, (laughs) you don't want the bear to get you, do you? No. It's like running a marathon if someone's like, the uh it's someone's like here let let me show you how i can make this harder on your <laughs> <laughs> and and oh yeah carry a gun a heavy rifle make, while you're doing maybe it. they could introduce like a snowshoe uh and shoot biathlon type thing oh, that'd, that'd be yeah. fun yeah uh i don't i mean on, i i think the maybe i don't know gosh maybe no, I don't know. Part of me wants to say skeleton. Just yeah, I, I was so I was kind of going down somewhere but, in the sliding sports. But I mean, like it's so freaky. I mean, you're going like a hundred miles an hour. But I mean, it, yeah, head it first down like a it, solid, kind of cool. a solid ice uh, track. That that looks insane. But you know, if you could do it and like do it safely, like bobsled or luge would be that the rush on that has to be insane. I would say maybe luge because. All the other ones require some sort of track and field type proficiency to build up momentum at the beginning. Whereas luge, you kind of just paddle for a little bit. And I think I can do that. I could, I could definitely paddle like five times and then lie on my back. That sounds like my kind of sport right there. <laughs> ah, good times, good times. I mean, I guess, Sammy, the other, I mean, the other obvious answer is hockey, hockey which yeah, we, 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 both we both played, played for a while. Um, not competitively, but. Uh, we got we got kind of competitive in a game or two. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it was a league for dads of kids that were learning how to play. <laughs> By the way, I cannot wait to be one of those dads again. Oh hell yeah! Hey, so so there's your answer to Olympic hockey right there. Re, just restructure it for dads of kids who are learning how to play. That's what I want. Field Olympic teams solely with those guys. That would be amazing. Look out, look out. I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. The Evanston Sunday night at 1130 oh, league. Oof. Yeah. Pancakes have never tasted so good as as they did going to IHOP at 2 in the morning after skating for two hours. No, no you have to be at work in like four hours. Yep. Always good times. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And you can email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the foreign. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousbar, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.